and gentlemen, this is Kim C, and you're listening to The Year of Underrated Stephen King. This is a literary book podcast where this fiction teacher is making her way across the underrated works of Stephen King, and on occasion, connecting with some passionate, brilliant constant readers along the way. Hello guys and gals, and thank you for joining me on this extra special Constant Reader interview episode. I know it's been a little while since we've done one of these, and boy do I have the best guest, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my goodness. I am so thrilled to have had the opportunity to chat with Matt from Tower Junkies Pod. I know! This blessed creature was so kind to give me a good chunk of his evening, and we had an absolute blast talking about King, talking about being millennials who love King, uh, everything in between. We had an absolute ball. I think we became best friends. I don't know if Matt knows this, but I know it. So uh, I'm hoping to join Matt and talk some short stories a little while later down the road. Hopefully soon we'll have that for you. I'm looking forward to it. But of course, Matt is the host of Tower Junkies Pod, as well as Obsessive Viewer Anthology. He is a jack of all trades with his uh, posse Pizza Roll the Cat and Tiny, his co-host. So you guys know. Tower Junkies pod. You're already fans. I know this to be true, and I'm just as big a fan as all of you, and I was thrilled to have Matt uh, give me some of his time and share some of our mutual King love. So I hope you guys enjoy our wonderful conversation. I had all the fun. There's a lot of laughter. There's a lot of nerding out. So I hope you guys enjoy it and tune into Tower Junkies Pod whenever you can. It is a podcast celebrating the Dark Tower as well as all Stephen King endeavors, both novel, television, film. It's the whole burrito. Fantastic. But tune into this conversation with the wonderful Matt from Tower Junkies Pod. <laughs> Good, sir. Uh, welcome, Matt, to the Year of Underrated Stephen King podcast. Matt is the host of the Tower Junkies pod, which is a delightful exploration into the world of King and all things Dark Tower. It is delightful. I'm a huge fan. But I'm so thrilled to have you with me, Matt, to be my constant reader interview. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am a big fan of your show, and so I was delighted to be invited on. And uh, I'm so, so glad to be here. Oh, I wish you could see my blushy little <laughs> cheeks. <laughs> Thank you so much. That means the world. I, I love the Stephen King community, and you're mm -hmm. one of the people that make it quite special. So thank you oh, so thank much. You. So great you to too. have you with me today. I'm very humbled, uh, chuffed, as the, the Brits would say. Um, but let's dive right in. I've got some fun King questions that I've passed your way. And yes. yeah, let's have some fun with these. So did oh, you yeah. want to pick one to start off with or I could I, we, I could pick the first one and we could dive in? Um, you can go ahead and pick. It's funny because you sent me the questions and then I have spent the last few days just like ruminating on them and then oh, typing out yeah, 
typing out these long answers that uh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm already obsessed. We haven't even talked about one yet. And I'm already like, oh, oh yeah. yes, this is this is my guy right here. Nice. Matt's my guy. All right. Um, so let's just start from the very beginning. Uh, I was right then. I just thought about that Julie Andrews song. Let's start from the very beginning. Okay. Nice. For any Sound of Music fans out there, probably not if they're King fans, but you never know. We might there could be... be some overlap. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so number one, dear Matt, how old were you when you read your first Stephen King book and which title was it? So there is a little bit of discrepancy in my brain with this. <laughs> um, <laughs> My official answer is The Shining at 15 years old, I think. Um, and I have just this very distinct memory of <laughs> maybe I, I may have been like 14 or 13, but uh, I was of like a young age and I was sitting in broad daylight in the middle of like our living room on a recliner reading it for the first time, reading The Shining for the first time. And then... <laughs> I remember being home alone and then just jumping so like jumping out of the chair when my mom like walked through the door because I was just so into the shining and into the world of the overlook. Um, so that was great. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love that mm -hmm. that was your first one. And I yeah. oh, my God, when it gets to the part with Jack and the axe, I was not OK. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. my god, I was yep. not okay. I was like, cheese and rice. This is yeah. like, <laughs> this is level 11 of terror right now. I am not Absolutely. okay. <laughs> yep, that in the, and uh, obviously when uh, room 217 in the book, it's just, oh, and it's funny, I, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, show my hand too much on one of the other questions, but like I have, I mean, I've reread The Shining a bunch of times uh, in my life and uh in my 20s i worked as a security guard in an empty building the th third shift so like in the middle of the night empty building lights are off and everything i had like a kindle with a backlight on it so i could read while walking through the building and doing my patrols or pretending to do my patrols and then sitting down somewhere and reading for an hour and then going back. <laughs> um, but like just the atmosphere of reading The Shining in an empty building when it's like me and one other person in the entire like seven story building that we're that we're patrolling and we're in we're security guards for is just a really, really uh, immersive and fun atmosphere. And it was super creepy. <laughs> Dude, I, oh, bravery, man, I was <laughs> just, just hearing about that and visualizing just, uh, yeah, I, I would, I would have peed myself truly like yeah. one noise and there would have been a puddle. So, <laughs> all right. Shining yeah. is number one in our, uh, mid teens, uh, number two were you aware that Stephen King was a horror author before you dived in? Did anybody warn you or did you kind of go in completely blind? Um, I definitely knew. And I think, and this is where some of the discrepancy with my first King book is because I may have read uh, like a year or two before 
that anecdote about reading The Shining, I may have read on writing. Because like when I was a kid, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write books and everything. And then as a kid, I was just obsessed with the Goosebumps series by R.L. Stein. That's so good. Oh yeah. Oh, that my childhood. Like <laughs> just, it's that's all I cared about. <laughs> but um but like so I kind of think of it as like, okay, well, I read Goosebumps for several years in my childhood and then I kind of graduated to Stephen King in my teens and twenties and now thirties and then for the rest of my life. <laughs> and but but as far as knowing about King and knowing that he was a horror writer, I definitely knew because like my my parents weren't big readers of popular fiction. Like my dad was really into like nonfiction, you know, dad books. <laughs> yeah, totally. And yeah. And my mom is all into like mystery novels and stuff. And so they didn't really read a lot of horror stuff. So one thing that they did do is watch a lot of things. And um with how kind of ubiquitous Stephen King is in terms of like film and television, his adaptations, I definitely like caught bits and pieces of a lot of his adaptations and stuff. Like I have a very uh like I think this might be my earliest memory of King, but it was way in like the early nineties when I was probably six or seven. And it the timeline doesn't match up to when it originally aired, but I remember my parents watching the It miniseries, the 1990 miniseries with Tim Curry. And I remember, like, I, they must have, like, rented the VHS or, or it was rerun or something like that. But I remember I had a friend staying the night, and um, <laughs> we came downstairs to get, like, snacks or something. And I remember, like, watching my parents watching It and like specifically the um where when they're in the uh at the end at the end of the miniseries when it's showing its true form the big spider like thing oh yeah um yeah and like i just remember like going back up to my room with my friend and being like i'm afraid that there's like a giant monster spider here oh my gosh yeah so, so yeah oh my gosh yeah Love that. And I really love that you brought up the 1990 uh, miniseries because mm. I feel we millennials, like that yeah. miniseries was like the gateway for so many of us into King. Oh, and, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And for me, the scene that you spoke of, I didn't mm -hmm. see till much later on in my life. But the scene uh -huh. I did see as a very vulnerable youth was the <laughs> terrifying uh, Stan in the bathtub dead. Oh, yes. With the blood on the wall. I was... Yeah guard i i oh my god so i that was rough oh, yeah. um but also with the goosebumps which i'm so glad mm. you brought that up such nostalgia um oh, yeah. i i hope they have this overseas but in the mm. states did you have book fair at your school matt oh oh yes oh yeah this <laughs> right? classic book fair like that was like one of the best things like ever <laughs> right like, yes <laughs> <laughs> that my most fond treasured memories of being a child was the scholastic book fair getting money from my parents and buying yep. goosebumps yep. and and buying like the the coolest cover that the one that was the scariest and like 
And yeah, and it was however many Goosebumps books you could get. And yep. it was just pure joy all the time. Or scary stories to tell in the dark. Absolutely. Yeah. Those. That, oh my God. Those just books. amazing. Oh yeah. The, and the art, the art yes. in those books, Matt. Oh, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> Did you see the scary stories to tell in the dark movie? I didn't. I was too scared. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> was it's it? Was really, it really? It's really, really solid. Like it's, there are a couple of, scenes in it that actually like it's like one one scene in particular that was in the trailer and i won't give away but it in, in it involves someone's face in a mirror um that and it's it is from the book i remember it being like one of the illustrations but like it's like my deepest fear ever and it goes oh back god. to the whole spider thing too oh my <laughs> so. god is that the one where it lays eggs in her face yeah oh yep. my god oh my god oh my god <laughs> Um, I will definitely keep that in my movie bank. Halloween is coming nice. up, so I yep. will definitely watch it per your recommendation. But nice. let's jump over to question three. Yep. Uh, as we're getting into the meat, mm -hmm. do you have, dear Matt, any Stephen King titles that you hate but everybody loves? Um, or are in like piggybacking off of that mm -hmm. is this something do you do you have ones you hate but everyone loves and then the opposite are you super in love with one and everybody's like that book sucks this is hilarious because i was so i was so um concentrating on the first part of the question that i don't <laughs> i don't even think i read that second part of the question that if there's one that i super love uh that everyone else hates but uh, the first part of the question, this might seem, I, I feel like any, any answer to this might seem a little blasphemous, but I'm not too crazy about Cujo. Okay. And it's mostly because I kind of feel like I, I don't, it's not that I hate it or anything. I just think that it, like, there's plenty to like in it and it it's an interesting, um, isolation story with them trapped in the car but i also i i've kind of always felt like it's a little rougher on the edges like i don't know if it's a bias on my part that it's like i know that it's one of his early published novels so i'm like okay well he's trying to find himself there but on the other hand i'm like okay well he's he's he didn't just start writing and then get get carrie published so maybe i'm just giving excuses for why i just don't really like this book that much but I would say Cujo just because it it didn't it didn't um it it felt a little bit more like it was uh focused on the plot device of a dog with with rabies attacking uh a woman and her child rather than being about the characters which is one of the things that I I love the most about anything Stephen King is that he has such a great eye for writing characters and developing characters and that becomes like the the most important part of his storytelling to me is the characterization and the growth of the characters. So like with Cujo, it's more like it's it's more like it's kind of a I don't want to say gimmick, but it's just more like, oh, these characters are trapped in a car trapped in a car and a and a dog is attacking them. And that's the most uh the the kind of majority of the the story. 
Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'll definitely keep that in mind. I haven't mm-hmm. made it to Cujo yet because we've been uh, working our way through the underrated works. Mm-hmm. But I have heard, and I don't know if this is true concerning this book, but apparently Cujo was like super cocaine book. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the... Um best like anecdotes uh, about King is that he doesn't have any memory of writing Cujo. (laughs) Oh Um, my God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. Like I just, I mean, (laughs) The, the greatness of this man. I mean, he's so yeah. cut out and writes, you know, a bestseller. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yep. it's bananas. <laughs> Absolutely. But, yeah, I've I've heard, um, I've got some other gal pal uh, mm-hmm. buddies, uh, the Palaver podcast gals. They yes. also said that there's a POV of the dog for quite a bit. And it's. Yes. That sounds a little odd. Um, odd. Oddly enough, it might be, uh, it's been a while since I've read Cujo, but that might be one of the most, more interesting parts of the book. Um, okay, all right. Because it's just, it's really, it's really interesting the way that uh, he just kind of uh, dives into the mental state of a dog. <laughs> um, so it's, 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 I mean, like I said, it it has its moments. It's not, it's not a bad book by any means, but um i think that when people think stephen king and and cujo is one of the kind of i don't know if i'd say cornerstones of his of his um of his work but it's one of the big pop culture references and stuff my cat is on the table right now so <laughs> if there's any Sweet noise baby. yes she we is will. yeah what's her name precious. uh her name is pizza roll Oh my God, um, <laughs> precious! Yeah, she is the official mascot for my podcast, and uh, all is, fur uh, babies yeah. are welcome. Welcome, pizza yeah. roll. Yeah, Bless she says creature. thank you. Oh, <laughs> it's actually angel. funny. Um, I, I I tell this story on my podcast all the time, but um, when I got my cat, I've had I've had pizza for five years, and when I first <laughs> got her. <laughs> Um, I was originally going to get a, a boy cat with the express intention of naming him Church after Pet Cemetery. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then like that was my goal. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna go get a boy cat, name him Church, and uh it'll be fun. And then when I got to the adoption event, uh Pizza was the second to last cat that was available for adoption. And uh the other one uh i i think the other one the other one was a boy but i i just was immediately like oh oh, this this is my cat okay this is my cat i'm gonna take this one (laughs) so yeah meant to be love it yep (laughs) amazing name and i i love all pictures of pizza roll ah thank you (laughs) um so heading over to question number four Mm -hmm. which titles do you feel are stephen king's underrated works um which ones do you feel aren't popular but should be okay so i have two two picks for this that one is maybe not um necessarily underrated but it's the short story sometimes they come back um yes from night shift and you haven't read night shift yet have you i haven't yet getting to it okay so, I've heard it's creepy. I've heard that oh, one's like creeperific. It, yeah, I, I've been rereading it these past couple of days, um, and like um, 
I kind of feel like it's 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 his first collection of short stories. So most of them, like all of them, are written like around nineteen between like nineteen sixty eight nineteen seventy seven thereabouts. And and okay, you you remember how um, in just after sunset, how crazy uh, and bonkers the cat from hell is. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> yeah. So so since that short story was written around 1977, just imagine an entire short story collection of that same type of just bonkers insane short stories from King. No. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really it's really really good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh um, god, I don't know if I'm yeah. ready, Matt. Wow. Oh, it's okay. there's some intense stuff in there. It's um it's yeah, I, I don't want to give anything away, but there's okay. there's some really, really fun stuff in there. But sometimes they come back is my favorite of the short stories in that collection. And it's mostly because just to kind of as an as an overview, um, it's about a teacher who has this painful past um, that involves uh, that involves he's grieving something in the past. And basically, um high school bullies from his past start appearing in his classroom as students. So it's like, <gasps> yeah. So he's like, he's like teaching in the seventies. And then like each, like each day, like there's a new, a new student in class. And like, it's this like fifties greaser, um, uh, bully from his childhood. And it's th like the whole, like the concept is really interesting in and of itself. But the core of the story, I think it I think that's why I'm picking it as an underrated work, because it was made it was adapted into a pretty cheesy movie. And they had some pretty cheesy, as I understand them to be uh, sequels, <laughs> um, like the sequel to uh, the movie adaptation is sometimes they come back for more um, oh, or no. <laughs> or sometimes they come back again or something. like that. Oh, golly. OK, yeah. But the actual story, it's like it's really interesting because, I mean, it's it's kind of standard for what King is really good at uh, a, a lot of times. It's this really interesting view of gr grief and guilt and how like the actual horror of those feelings and like carrying on or holding on to something pain extraordinarily painful trauma from your past and how those feelings like manifest like literally in this case with the with the bullies that uh that caused intense pain just showing up <laughs> and it's just a really interesting like guilt and grief story that i just i was really just kind of gobsmacked by oh wow beautifully said yeah. i'm oh, wow you. you sold it i'm into oh, it thank you uh, i'll make sure that's like one of the first ones i go to unless nice. i probably sh i probably should do chronological read of it but i might oh, yeah. pick. <laughs> i wouldn't blame you either way i will say that my other pick for underrated stephen king uh works is in this i i know that you're a big fan of this book but i've only read it once and it's been oof, probably six or seven or no probably like 10 years but the girl who loved tom gordon <laughs> yes <laughs> like i i remember reading it like i was reading the actual like hardcover and i didn't know anything about it it was one of those ones that's like okay it's not really talked about that much and i don't like even if even though i'm in in the kind of world of stephen king I don't really know much about this story. So like I picked it up and started reading it and then I'm like, 
oh, this is a this is a like survival story in like nature and stuff. And it's like it's so isolating. And I mean, just the way that he puts um, I can't remember her name, but the character Trisha. Trisha. Yes. Yep. Uh, he just puts her through the ringer and it's just I don't know. I just I really I remember being just really captivated by that. Oh, that brings my heart such joy back because <laughs> I'm I'm so pleased to hear that because mm-hmm. I've kind of talked about it previously that this is such a split book between constant readers, but even yeah. more so between men and women. And I hate to genderize it, but it really yeah. is like most most dudes I find mm-hmm. are like, meh. And then the women I meet are like, oh, my God, this book is great. (laughs) I know. So I'm so happy Mm -hmm. that you were kind of able to see what we see, which is like, this is is amazing. I I totally get that. And I think part of that is just I don't I don't know how much of that is just, you know, uh, people reading something and just kind of like trying to put themselves into it. it's like oh okay well the the main character is is a young girl i can't relate to that it's like okay well yeah but you've been lost in the wilderness maybe <laughs> um and that's a really deep fear of some people <laughs> like you can probably relate to it in that way um but yeah it's it's i'm i'm yeah yeah i don't know what i was gonna say there <laughs> i'm so thrilled you said that and since it's been a while i mm-hmm. highly recommend giving that one a second read it is a very nice. rich experience i noticed on the awesome. second time i read it because you're not you know going as quickly as you normally do on the first read where you're just mm-hmm. wanting to find out what happens you are i took my time with it and it's more um it's more of a heartbreaking experience to see nice. the loss of hope. I noticed mm-hmm. a lot more in this second read, so I highly recommend. It's a very rich, powerful little book. Nice. Yeah, I will definitely uh, uh, like. <laughs> uh, there's a future question in this where uh, it asks if I've ever reread a book, and I'm like, pretty much all of them that I've read. <laughs> um, that's but awesome. the girl, yeah, the girl who loved Tom Gordon is one of maybe like five or six that I I've only read once. So I'm definitely due for a reread. Love it, love it. My next question is one that I face quite often in my uh, book reader community. I meet somebody who says oh, I've never read Stephen King. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, I don't like horror. And so this question yep. is, if you meet somebody who would say those exact words to you, or if you have met someone who's mm-hmm. like, no, I don't really like popular stuff, or mm-hmm. I, I don't like scary stuff, uh, what title would you maybe suggest to somebody who's never read King and perhaps doesn't want to be scared or probably just, you know, is being a judgy butthole and doesn't know the greatness they're missing. Absolutely. So I cheated again and I have two answers. Oh no, it is not a cheat. You go for it. Okay. So, uh, the, the answer that I would give for someone who is adamant about not, not being into horror or not wanting to be scared per se is 112263. And yes, it is on my ranked list of Stephen King, uh, my top 19 uh, favorite Stephen King books. uh, It's number one. It's I mean, 
it's so so great it's such a it's such a beautiful time travel romance story and that i think that that like in, introducing someone to king through that like introducing someone who thinks that king is just is just a master of horror um to a story with such rich characters and such a just beautiful beautiful story in it while also being in the backdrop of a time traveler trying to stop the JFK assassination like i can only imagine that if someone isn't aware of like the uh of of the finer details of king's work just jumping in thinking like oh he writes about scary clowns and rabid dogs uh and then reading 112263 and just being like what what is this like right. i just can't i can't imagine like how like that i i can't imagine what a gift that would be to give to someone <laughs> because 112263 is just so beautiful and it has so many like hallmarks of king's like great greatness like he is so uh masterful at creating like community in his writing so like you got the uh the the town of its jody in 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 the story where like jake is just a teacher at this high school and like you get a sense of him being like in in the community and a part of the community and stuff and it's just like it is so just just beautifully written like we go hundreds of pages with him just living in the past and i'm like i never want this to end like I don't like, okay, like, yeah, the interesting time travel stuff is interesting, but I just want him to, you know, I want him to uh, convince the football player that he can be a good stage actor and stuff. Like, I want, I like, I want more of that. Um, oh. It's just so beautiful. I could not agree more. Could not yeah. agree more. Amazing choice. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And then the second question that is kind of, it, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of, not answering the question itself but um or it's or it's cheating in the answer is that um if someone that isn't too crazy about horror fiction asked me i would i would be tempted to recommend pet cemetery get it yeah and that i feel like might might get me punched but, (laughs) (laughs) but my rationale is that it's yes, it is. It is through and through a horror novel. Like there's there's no way around it being a horror premise or anything, because, I mean, it's like zombie pets and, and like bringing back bringing things back from the dead and everything. But I feel like if I were to uh, recommend Pet Cemetery to someone who thinks like like I said before, someone who thinks, oh, he writes about scary clowns and rabid dogs. And then they pick up Pet Cemetery, thinking like, oh, this is about resurrected cats and stuff and then they read like they actually get into the book and it's um i i feel like they would be pretty uh, i would hope that they would be entranced by the story of lewis creed and about grief and heartache and and just like the the characterization because that's what like that's what blew me away about it was just the way that it depicts this this character going through like unimaginable pain and then reaching decision points that are completely irrational and completely insane but in an understandable way for the reader it's just it's such a unique like uh jump from page one to page 
300 or however long it is. It's just, it's such an interesting like character study of grief and heartache and, and uh, it's, it's, it's visceral to me. It's like, it's, it's painful to read, but it's just so well-written. Oh, well said. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that choice. And I love that it's kind of like, you don't like horror, but you need to read this. Because I, I could agree right. that Pet Cemetery is one of those that I will never forget as long as I live. Um, mm-hmm. Because it is, it, not only is it a grief story, as you mentioned, like intense, mm-hmm. maybe even too far on the like yeah. horror scale, like just the worst mm-hmm. thing that could really ever happen to a human family happens yeah. in this book. Mm-hmm. And yet the power of life and death is yes. with them. And it's like that temptation to mm-hmm. be godlike and to have this unworldly power and yep. the consequences of oh my god it's huge it's just oh yeah i i think it's an amazing pick too yeah it's mm-hmm. a gut punch you might get punched but <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> um i think yep. it would be worth worth a little uh bruising for sure oh yeah oh yeah um i have a i have a funny story about pet cemetery the first time i read it um i was a secu- i was a security guard it was my mid 20s and I wasn't working nights at that time, but I was working like the day shift, which basically as a security guard in an an office building during the day, I just sat in front of a door and said hi to people when they came in. (laughs) So had a ton of downtime. Yeah. And so I had Pet Cemetery. I was like, oh, I'm going to finally read Pet Cemetery. This is like 2012, 2013. And I'm reading it. And um I uh, I don't want to spoil it. So the when the thing happens, <laughs> yep, the thing. Um, the thing happens. Um, the at the time, one of my relatives, one of my one of my nephews, was the age of <gasps> a character in the book. Oh my god! Oh my god! Okay. And uh, uh, naive Matt is like, oh, you know, the little like the 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 little scenes that steven is writing with this character just reminds me of landon and i'm like picturing my nephew and then boom just gut punch and not not even like the fact that it happens in the book but like the way that it does like there's a distinct jump like you turn a page and suddenly like the story is playing catch up with us while Lewis is in a completely different like experience and it's like it is it is a masterstroke of just character work and and just like it's 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 a master t- storyteller have like it's the feeling of being in the palm of a master storyteller's hand <laughs> it's like it's so it's so brazen and and just sudden and I, like I was sitting there at my desk at work and like I was I was literally holding back like I like if I was at home, I would have probably just lost it. Like I would have probably just just let the tears flow and everything. But I was just like I was fighting that back because and I was like kind of shaking a little bit like, okay, I got to put this down. (laughs) Dude, right? Yeah. And I remember that scene, that chapter you're talking about. You are so right. It is like you are clutched you are in its grasp and that is the most powerful art experience you can have where you have just surrendered to what's happening to you (laughs) and absolutely (laughs) you're just like oh my god like this is 
this is happening. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and Pet Cemetery was one of the second or third King books I read, so very mm-hmm. very new into my journey. Wow. And I, you know, I was very just like fresh from grad school, dipping my toe mm-hmm. in the water. I have no idea what I'm getting into, and. I remember distinctly looking at my father and like, I'm like, dad, he's really not scary. Like, this is so old school, <laughs> you know? I'm like, is this what I, well, I understand that it was the 80s. So this must have freaked mm-hmm. people out in the 80s. But clearly it just, it's, this is just so tame, dad. And he's like, okay, and kind of rolled his eyes. And then, of course, I get to the end where mm-hmm. the reader is like pretty much choking on the terror and drama that the yes. Creed family is experiencing. Experiencing, and then uh, everything that happens to Crandall, to Judd, and I was like, yes. "Oh my God, oh. I can't!" I'm gonna. I uh, I distinctly remember um, flying out of my bed and gasping, like heart <laughs> heart pounding, gasping. I don't think a book's ever made me do that before, and I was like, "Oh yeah, oh my God, this is this is a thing. This is a thing, yep. uh, Mr. Yep. King. All right, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely." Absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm great picks. Uh, uh, dear Matt, what do you feel is, I hate to use the word worst, mm-hmm. but let's say the most poorly written or poorest uh, Stephen King novel or effort from King? Yes. So, again, with the caveat that this is a book that I read once, and this one has been probably probably 10 years ago or no probably like 13 or 14 years ago but i really was not fond of cell and um i so i since it's so since it was so long ago i don't really remember it that well but i remember being interested in it like i cuz at the time i was really into like zombie stories like zombie movies and zombie shows and stuff And so I was like, oh, Stephen King, I I love Stephen King and Stephen King did a zombie um, book. And I was just like, you know, I'm I'm going to go in and I hopefully this will be great. But um, I I think and this might be this this might be like maybe me seeking like uh, to apologize for King. But (laughs) I kind of think that the biggest from what i remember the biggest like shortcoming of it is its length because it's it's a pretty short book cell is i it's probably it's definitely longer than uh the girl who loved tom gordon but it's it's around like misery length and i think that that in and of itself is a problem with it because the actual story is like from what i remember it's this cataclysmic like apocalyptic event where cell phones turn you into zombies and stuff. And since it's Stephen King riffing on like a popular horror fiction thing, he has his own unique spin on it. So the zombies aren't like brain seeking zombies and stuff. They have like their own like King twist to them. But I think since it is only like three or 400 pages, I don't think King allowed himself enough time to really build out the characters and the world. Cause I remember, I think at the center of it is this group of, characters who kind of find each other kind of like in the stand or any other Stephen King book really um and then he kind of bands them together and then they they you know survive together and they do they do the the whole cotet thing 
But since it's so brief, we don't have that much, like, it's not as, he doesn't have enough room to really give them engaging backstories or uh, connections to form between them. So I think that that's a bit of a shortcoming with it, but I haven't read it since probably like 13 years ago. So um, maybe it's better than I remember. But as of now, that is my uh, least, least favorite Good to know. I have heard that this is a thing, that this one, Cell, is not the strongest. Um, So I will keep that in mind as I make my way there, because I do want to kind of go... up, upcoming on my list is Dreamcatcher uh, from a Buick 8, and then Cell is kind of closely next to those. Okay. So we'll see. But yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that one because I actually have heard that before regarding Cell. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'd be very interested to hear what you thought of it. Will do. Um, so I'm going to skip this question and save it to the end because it's, okay. it's, it's a juggernaut. Um, yep. But my next question is, do you have a character from a Stephen King novel where you would like a sequel, a prequel, or their own standout story? This was probably the hardest question for me, honestly. Um and like my go-to answer is actually slightly spoilery for the Dark Tower, so I'm not. I'm going to abstain from giving that answer. You um, are very kind. I'm yes. sorry to have you have to have you edit <laughs> oh, no. yourself, but I do appreciate it. Oh, it's totally fine. Totally fine. But um, I would say that uh, probably, and and I read I so I read Firestarter a couple of years ago, and I would say Charlie Charlie McGee would be my answer for this, just because I, I like I listened to a few of your episodes where you where you mentioned that, and I'm like, yeah, you're you're right, because like not a lot of time passes in Firestarter, and you know we kind of need to see, we we need to catch up with Charlie because <laughs> that's like that's like a wealth a wealth of of a uh, story just sitting there for decades um right yeah so i think charlie would be my answer oh my god i love that so much yeah. i couldn't agree more she's <laughs> yeah. nine when the book ends yeah she is nine matt like we have yeah. our whole lives we have a whole life we need yep. to find out i'm <laughs> you know we have to see her bust out of russia we have to see mm-hmm. her barbecue more bad guys like we oh yeah i couldn't agree more although i was thinking lately because you know i i will forever like most of us adore the losers club until i'm done yeah and so i was like you know what would be an amazing i mean it would be a terrible money-making scheme but (laughs) (laughs) if we did because um after the ending of it, for anybody who hasn't read it, the Losers Club uh, sort of are at a point in their lives where the future is a little brighter. That's all I'll put, mm-hmm. say. But um, I wonder if they have children. And I uh-huh. wonder. And so I was like, oh. you know what? We need to do like Children of the Losers Club. And that, huh? That is interesting. <laughs> right? Huh. Um, so I don't know. That was some um I'm teaching school right now and so my brain's mm-hmm. kind of in like imagination zone. And nice. so I was like, 
oh my god because i because bill denbro is my favorite character of mm -hmm. all time he's my favorite and i just like i'm like i wonder what bill's son or daughter would be like with the heaviness of like his father's their father his yeah their father's past mm -hmm. and i was just thinking about that in terms of like a deep character uh if we were to do like a, a shameless ploy for for, <laughs> view, for viewers or readers um, but yeah. i was like that'd be amazing but sticking to oh, yeah. the canon i think i think charlie mcgee's the strongest most mm. definitely um but there there's definitely a couple where mm. uh i i really feel i would like a sequel for sure yeah yep and, and hopefully king does that in in a non-cash-in kind of way but hopefully he does something i i kind of have this theory that um certain like recent king books and this may be me just projecting onto it what i think king is thinking when he's writing but like i've noticed like little things here and there through his more recent novels that kind of feel similar to something from like a recent movie so like for example, like he wrote the Institute and it's about kids in, in a facility that have like uh, special abilities and stuff. And it's like I kind of feel like it's not necessarily a response, but maybe like he had this this idea kind of germinated in his brain where he when like the Dark Tower movie came out because like a part of the Dark Tower movie as uh, as as bothersome as that movie is um but there is a part of it that's like that is about kids and everything and with special abilities and and people taking kids and i'm like did king like like watch that and think like oh you know i'm gonna do this again i'm gonna do this kind of thing so my that's my long-winded way of saying like okay well maybe he'll watch the uh the new firestarter remake and be like oh you know let's let's revisit charlie um so yeah fingers crossed Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that because I couldn't mm -hmm. agree more. And I just yeah. finished reading later. That's my upcoming. Ah, yes. Right. Spoiler alert for my anybody mm -hmm. listening out there. But yeah, so I did a really quick, I just finished it. And mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my God, this is very much like The Sixth Sense, the 1999 movie. Yes. The Sixth Sense, which is not oh, a yeah. bad thing. He did add mm -hmm. a couple more ingredients to the stew pot that I really loved. Yep. But I, oh my God, I, I just think you're, I'm dead on. I'm 100% with you on that. Because mm -hmm. I'm like, this just is a little, it's reminiscent of something. It's reminiscent yep. of some sort of cinematic or another kind of nostalgic retro something. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Who is your favorite King villain, Mr. Matt? Okay. So I, so, so uh the the heavy hitter answers that i'll give before giving my real answer is obviously <laughs> <laughs> obviously annie wilkes and big Jim ah! Rennie. <laughs> yes so um uh i mean annie wilkes and big jim rennie are just are terrifying monsters um i just Absolutely. started yes i just started re-listening to under the dome just on a whim and like Ugh. just the the hatred for Jim yes. Rennie is like, yes. Oh, it's, 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 it, he, he's, he's a big one, but, yes. but for my official answer, I'm going to go a little bit against the grain and give kind of a, a little bit of a more abstract answer. But, um, 
And I don't know if this is a cop out, but uh, my my favorite villain from King's work is time. Like the asp the the idea of time in eleven twenty two sixty three. Oh yes, because the past is obdurate, and I just love. I so kind of similar to how I came to sell when eleven twenty two sixty three came out. This was probably like uh. uh <laughs> Uh, spoiler for a future question on here, but I am a huge unabashed fan of Lost. Like all six seasons, the finale, everything. I I love Lost, <laughs> and uh, at the time when eleven twenty two sixty three came out, it was right after. I think it was like right around the time or right after Lost really introduced and went off, not off the deep end, but dove into the whole time travel stuff in their story. So like I was like, oh, I love time travel. This is amazing. And then like the next year, it's like, oh, Stephen King came out with a time travel story. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is this is 100% my jam. This is like exactly <laughs> what I want. <laughs> and so when I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, he has created this idea that the past is obdurate and does not want to change. So throughout the whole book, you've got Jake going through uh trying to first he has to figure out like what actually happened in the jfk assassination <laughs> like he needs to determine if uh lee harvey oswald worked alone and then he also has to uh stop it <laughs> and the idea that time fights back and and he has to kind of just wade through a past that doesn't want to be changed is like such an interesting interesting concept for drama and conflict and it just makes it so so much more like so much more of an edge of your seat story as opposed to him just like oh i'm gonna go back to uh either 1958 or 1960 and then have to wait three or five years to, to stop a, an assassination attempt it's like it just breathes so much life into um into a time travel story i just i love it so much Oh my God. Great answer. Oh, wow. That's such a perfect way of explaining the awesomeness, um, the, the conflict and the villain in the, in that novel. And, oh, wow. Yeah. So tremendous. Yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more on the big Jim Rennie. I've never mm -hmm. had so much violence in my mind <laughs> as a, yeah. as a peaceful law abiding citizen. I mm -hmm. have never been so murderous than yeah. when I spent a thousand pages with Big Jim mm. Rennie. However, yep. I've noticed, and this, again, this could be genderizing it just a little bit, but I mm -hmm. really, I really don't like Norman Daniels from, from Rose Matter. Uh, I, I, I have a real hard time with like the rapist dudes. Like, I'm just like, okay, yeah. like, and the, granted, I think those are caricatures of horror. I think like they're mm -hmm. supposed to be bombastically violent, so you just uh, like you just you just absolutely abhor them with every page. Um, but still, it's like God damn it, I hate you. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. like you're disgusting. I hate I hate reading any time. Like, uh, yeah, it, it, it's yeah. one of those where when I think back, I'm like, oh my god, Norman Daniels suck. Yep. Rose Matter is actually one that I haven't read yet, but hearing like you talk about it and stuff, like I need to, I need to bump that up like way up because I, it, it sounds, it sounds like in 
for lack of a better word, it sounds like an experience. It sounds like something that will be kind of a, a rough one. Totally. I am so excited for you to read it because it is 100% that, an experience. Mm-hmm. And at first, it's it, it almost feels like too much, especially okay. um, as, as a female reader. I just, it mm-hmm. was a bit much. It's a lot. However, then you get about halfway in and then the magical fantastical starts to happen and you're like oh "Oh, my god i'm buckled in let's do this and then the whole book the whole book sort of like blooms in a very strange cool way and i'm like oh my god what are you book i like you (laughs) um yeah i would love to know your thoughts it's it's wild it's wild it's it's it's, it's too much sometimes, but mm-hmm. then um, there's this mythological waterfall that happens, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm into it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I'll definitely have to read that soon. So this is a super hard question, as you know. Uh, do you have a top three or a top five? And how did those King novels get into those spots? Yes. So I have, I have, I, I keep, I, I'm super anal retentive. I have a list of every Stephen King book that I've read. Um, <laughs> You're not I alone. Have, I'm right there yeah. with you. Yep. And I have, uh, I have several like versions of it. Like, okay, this is the order that I read them in. And this is my ranked list. This is my ranked list of the collections. This is my ranked list of the short stories and the novellas. Um, but I like my kind of centralized ranking. I have, um, I have it, uh, I have a top 19 ranked and, um, love it, love it. Yeah. I'm not going to go through all 19, but I will adhere to the five, uh, number on here. Perfect. Um, yes. So I'll start at number five. Um, misery just, it is, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Uh, it is explorative process and like i know that i know that um so, so i i don't know it, it on one hand it's about it's <laughs> it's about toxic fandom fandom that's taken to an extreme at least then now it's maybe not as extreme <laughs> as toxic fandom is now right but it's kind of a prototypical toxic fandom story. But it's also about like the I I kind of read it as being about like the writer's relationship to his fans and his muse. So like I, I feel like it's just amazing on this kind of macro level when you see it as a writer being forced into writing popular fiction that he's not passionate about and he doesn't um he doesn't want to write but he is doing that to appease to appease his fan his fan his number one fan <laughs> and then eventually like he gets wrapped up into it he actually uses that as an escape from his torment and everything and like just the way that king writes that kind of switch is really engaging and i just and and like i just love that <laughs> on a more surface level thing like 
him being forced to write popular fiction that he's not passionate about and how it literally chips away at him, like in the most literal terms imaginable is just like, it's, it's rough, but it's so interesting to view it as like an allegory for the creative process. Um, and just, it's, it's really, really just, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I love that answer. And I'm pretty fresh from reading misery from the first, Mm -hmm. from, uh, for the first time. And, uh, now that the terror has subsided, um, Mm -hmm. and I'm, uh, back to the land of normal again, I, Mm -hmm. I think that's such a beautiful answer because one of my favorite parts of the book is how he kept comparing, um, the process to Scheherazade of uh, A Thousand and One Nights Mm -hmm. and how she was going to get her head cut off by the Sultan if she didn't weave entertaining tales. And, And so it was just such a powerful comparison of like forced creativity and contrived art. And I couldn't agree more. Really well said. Absolutely. Thank you. And, uh, my number four is Pet Cemetery, which yep. I Amazing. talked about already, but raw, uncontrollable grief in the descent of a man into a painful, I have this written out. A <laughs> Amazing. A, yeah. A painfully understandable madness. Um, and then my number three, and we've been talking for a while and I feel like it's a little bit of a disservice to what I do on the podcast, uh, on <laughs> Like Tower Junkies, but my number three is actually Wizarding Glass, the fourth Dark Tower book. Um, it's just interesting that like this is the first time I'm talking about the Dark Tower on the I know. I've I've yeah. done that on purpose. I've nice. I, I keep hiding the question. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um so Wizarding Glass, like obviously I'm not gonna spoil anything, but it is it is my favorite of the series. Although, I mean, it's really hard to just pick one favorite from like the entire series because I I adore the series. Um, even at its lowest points, it's it's still. I mean, Roland Deschain is probably, in my in my estimation, Stephen King's most interesting and maybe most complex character. Um, just because have like what he goes through throughout the entire series. So Wizard and Glass is the majority of it is a flashback story to Roland as a teenager with his first quartet. And I just feel like it's it's really wonderful world building. Um and it it deepens kind of the lore of Midworld and and like Roland's world before it moved on and everything. And it just creates even more depth for Roland. And like there, there are some really big surprises along the way, both for like the the story and just the greater scope of the Dark Tower series. That is just so much fun, <laughs> and uh, it's just it's it's really like the word I would use for Wizard of Glasses. It's it's very transfixing. Um, and if if you get to like if someone is reading the Dark Tower series and they get to book four and they're not already transfixed, then I don't know why they're on book four. <laughs> But nice. they'll get even more, even more just attached to it. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Oh my god, I'm so excited! Yeah. I'm so excited to hear that because <laughs> I I just finished um, drawing of the three and yes. 
I am I'm on board. I I'm mm-hmm. like okay, this so data data craziness. This yep. This this Eddie guy. <laughs> uh, these lobster guys. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is fun. This is cool. So I'm oh, so yeah. excited. It's gonna get richer and deeper. I'm so oh, thrilled. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. So my number two is it. Um, it's just. Oh, it's perfect. It is, it's, it's perfect. It's, perfect. Matt. it's absolutely yeah. perfect. Yes. It's um so first of all, yes, it is terrifying. <laughs> yes. And has such a terrifying villain. Um, which by the way, um I I have like banged the drum for the audiobook for it for years at this point. Even Weber reading it on on the audiobook is like it is next level. Like it is Ooh. so good. <laughs> so good. Have you listened to the audiobook? For I just read have it? not, but now oh. I'm gonna because I read it. It took me a whole month. It took me a month mm-hmm. to to hack through it, and I just did it old oh, yeah. school. Like I didn't do an audio accompaniment, and uh, but I want to now because uh, oh, I really it's... am. I'm so glad. Yes. Um. So it's, I mean, I mean, just like the way that it's, it's so funny. Cause like on another Stephen King podcast, Stephen Weber was a guest and he was talking, like they were asking him about, um, the process of recording like audiobooks. I'm like, it's just so interesting. Cause like Stephen Weber is just like, yeah, I just went, it's just basically getting paid to read a book, um, for like eight hours at a time or whatever. And I'm like, but, but you had so much like acting in that, like, like you did like, cause he I mean, it is, it is, it is, it is insane. It is incredible. Like, how, like, w- just to think about the difficulty of performing that book. Like, I- I'm kind of particular about audiobooks. Like, there's a lot in like the '90s where they put a lot of music into it and stuff. Oh and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you don't need that. Like, I, you don't, you don't need you don't need to make it a radio play because it's just, I'm, I'm wanting to get the information the same way I would get the information with my eyes. <laughs> like I just, it's a theater of the mind thing. Just like reading is I don't need these extra things. <laughs> <laughs> I am so, uh, I, I'm right. I'm, I'm right there with you, but mm-hmm. I, I just, how do they have the nuance to, to sound differently for each character, each character. Oh, it's, I, I, wonder that so much like i i'm i'm so curious like there are times where i'm like do do they just like do they do they like take all the dialogue lines and like and like write it out as a script and have them like read the dialogue as the character and then they stitch it together in editing it so it's or is it just literally like sitting there reading a book because i mean like when you hear steven weber perform it it's like I mean, not only his voice for Pennywise, I mean, it is, it's chilling. It is, it is insanely good, but also like the difficulty of reading like, like Bill's lines where he's stuttering throughout it. Like he does not miss a beat. It's like, it is perfectly as written. And I'm like, it's, it's like, it's, it's a whole nother level. I, I have just a ton of respect for Steven Weber for that, for that narration. It's so good. 
Oh, I'm so glad to hear it because I, yeah. I'm definitely going to um, make it a thing and do mm-hmm. the side-by-side with the novel mm-hmm. and the audiobook because I listened to him narrate Rat from mm-hmm. If It Bleeds last year. Yep. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This mm-hmm. is so rich and great and his voice and the nuance and it's effortless and yet compelling uh so i cannot imagine i cannot imagine how much more it levels up for it oh yeah i didn't even know he did it i so i'm i'm blown away right now yep i'm i'm very excited for you to to listen to it because it is it is so it's it's probably the best audiobook performance i've ever heard and oh my gosh yeah and like that's the primary way that i consume books at the these days it's like putting in my earbuds and just listening to the audiobook oh yeah um, absolutely yeah although i will say thank you to, to your show because i have been doing the side-by-side thing at your <gasps> suggestion oh my yeah. god yeah like that's how I read the majority of Just After Sunset, and like it's uh, like you're right, it is so immersive, and it's just it's really it's a good way to just kind of bring in the information. Because usually when I read like a physical book, it's like I get kind of like my eyes get a little tired, and I just get kind of like antsy because I'm a millennial and I just want to grab my phone and look at Twitter. Yep, <laughs> thousand percent. Yep. 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 But having like my ears and my eyes engaged is like kind of just putting like shutters on my surroundings so I can really focus on it. Absolutely. Oh my God. That like makes my heart swell to know. And because (laughs) that's how I passed grad school. Uh, That is how I was able to make it. And Mm -hmm. I I really do feel like there's something about the double brain, like seeing language, hearing language. I'm so glad it was an immersive experience for you. So cool. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What Um, is your number one, Mr. Matt? What yes. is it? So my number one is eleven twenty two sixty three. Yes. Yes. I just it's uh it it's the same. It's interesting because like this is just standard king like king idea that basically like I can have a book like Pet Cemetery that makes me almost weep uncontrollably at work out of just a gut punch of of pain and everything in the story. And then 112263, by the time I get to the end of it, I'm like weeping this not necessarily joyous cry, but like it's this just like it's basking in this just perfectly told story and just yeah. beautifully told story. And it's just it is so it's it's just so beautiful. I, I love it so much. Yeah. Oh, I, I couldn't couldn't agree more. It's so good. Um, it's definitely in my top ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because I have not, I haven't read all of King's work yet. I'm about a good almost forty books in. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm still there's there's wiggle room, but I do know in my top five, and this is slightly slightly controversial, but I mm-hmm. really think that in the top five, I think it is probably number one, of course, but mm-hmm. I think Duma Key's up there. Yeah. I I also think Joyland's up there. I so I <laughs> I mean, okay. Like, <laughs> Duma Key is is an interesting is an interesting book. I, I got I think I got a lot of new insight into it from from hearing your episode on it. 
Um, but it's interesting because like I I revisited that um and I've I've listened to it, I've read it like two two or three times front to back, like over the over the last several years. And it's something that I could never really find a way into. But like I remember I was um <laughs> Uh, so uh, like, I, I am prone to like, like panic attacks, like every now and then, and like, I'm on medicine for it and it's fine and everything, but sometimes the medicine just kind of doesn't do its job properly. Sure. So like, I, like, it's, it's so, it was, it was kind of a a unique experience that I basically, I was, (laughs) I was like a day away from flying to Vegas for vacation (laughs) with a group of friends and like I was having like just this intense panic attack and just like not like I'm just sitting there thinking like, OK, I don't, I don't want to do anything. I just I don't I don't want to do anything. And like it was just it was just really intense and overwhelming. And then I was just like, I'm you know, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to just dive in and listen to do McKee. Um, <laughs> oh, no. And yeah, well, the <laughs> rationale for that and it kind of worked a little bit is that I I kind of thought like, okay, well, this is a story about a man, Edgar Fremantle, who has suffered like this, this painful experience. And he is literally going to another place for like to actually heal from it and to as as a recuperation from it. So I'm like, you know, I'm having these just intense panic attacks. So like maybe this is like my my (laughs) with an asterisk. (laughs) <laughs> this is my Duma key. Like flying to Vegas is my Duma key, and I'm going to listen to the audiobook. <laughs> right on. Yeah, and it it kind of helped settle me a little bit, but um, but once it gets into like the all of the all of, all of the Percy stuff and everything, it's like it kind of loses me each time. But I can I can really kind of I don't know I can I can get a better I, each time I listen to it and read it, I I get a better appreciation for it. So so yeah. I'm so glad to hear that. I'm just yeah. like smitten kitten for that dang book. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, it's just I don't know. So, yeah. but as a, as I make my way through more King mm-hmm. works, um, I'm about to read the Green Mile here pretty soon. So nice. I'm getting ready for my heart to just get pummeled. But mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so we'll see like who makes the yeah. top five for reels for mm-hmm. reels once I'm all done. But I I do yeah. know that I've got some unconventional picks in there just because well they moved me yeah. so much. Well, with Joyland too, like that's a book oh, that I, God. I mean, I I haven't read it since it was published in like 2013 or 2012, and I remember when it was when it was published, like it like it was kind of a big to do that it was hard case crime. They were only going to publish it in paperback, yep. and like I remember like going to the store to buy it and like having a physical copy, but I also remember that <laughs> at the time. I like just by complete happenstance, I I had been dating someone and then that someone broke up with me. It it was definitely 2013 then that someone broke up with me and no, it was 2012. Okay. I'm getting mixed up with different things (laughs) anyway, um, (laughs) but uh, I had gotten broken up with and then I was like, I'm going to read Joyland and like, I'm reading Joyland and it's like, it's like his high school sweetheart has, has broken up with him or something. I can't remember the specifics. I was like, too real, too real. I was like, okay, yeah, my relationship wasn't that like that intense or anything, but I'm like, I'm still a little hurt by it. So absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So I I do need to revisit Joyland because I did, I did like it a lot. Oh my 
God, I love yeah. that. I love that book so much. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I'm excited to see like how my top five, top ten grows as I get more under my belt for sure. But oh, yeah. um, if you have, let me see, where are we? Um, do you have a a Stephen King recommendation to anybody who's like, I want to be scared, dude. I want to be really wrecked by something scary. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I have two because they're different types of scares. Um, uh, to be emotionally scared, obviously, Pet Cemetery. Um, just for all of the reasons that I've said all before. All of them. Yep. Yep. And then if you want jumpy scared, um, definitely The Shining. Just because... Oh, yeah the isolation and the mounting kind of psychosis of Jack Torrance is so great. And that weird, like um, the way that the hotel is beckoning to him and it's just, it's so like terrifying. Um, I, I wholeheartedly just throw those out there for someone who wants to be scared. Definitely. I, I I could get on board with that. Um, For me, I would say anybody who's going through like a hard time and needs a distraction, mm-hmm. misery, um, because yeah. that was <laughs> the most intense, all-consuming experience I've ever had in my life with a book. Yeah. Like, I didn't know how I was going to finish it, Matt. Like, I was, yeah. I, it took all the will in my soul to get me through that wow. book. I was so, like, I can't. Um, and, yeah. But I was so glad I did. And it's definitely, I see why it's the one of the most celebrated King works. It's just extraordinary. And oh, yeah. the physical copy is amazing. So, yeah, I would definitely yes. throw misery in there as well. Oh, yeah. So you mentioned that you've reread uh, almost all of the Stephen King's. Yes. So, yeah, tell me all about of, that. Tell me about, like, yeah. your process. So uh, I've reread all of the ones that I've read. So I've, I've uh, actually, kind of proud of this, um, including short, short story collections and nonfiction, so basically on writing. Uh, Billy Summers was actually my 50th Stephen King book. Get it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I have reread the majority of like I've been I've been through the Dark Tower series like three or four times at this point. And I've reread uh there there's like a certain like roster of books that I so okay, so in my in my day job, I work in an office and I just process paperwork for an insurance company. It's super boring and dull. And so I will have just earbuds in and I will listen to either podcasts or audiobooks or music um, just on a rotation. And I found out, like I learned from myself that I have like a roster of Stephen King books that I will kind of kind of go through uh, here and there um, just re-listening to them. So like I said, I've just started re-listening to Under the Dome a couple of days ago while I work. I love and that one. I love yeah, that one. So good. So good. That narrator, but, I think, is yeah. Raul something. Uh, is Raul Espousa, I think. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. His, his voice for Jim Rennie is like. Perfect. I, yeah. And it's, it's like the most grating voice you can uh, have for him. And it's, it's like it's, it's perfect. Like in, not in a derogatory way. It's like 
if a voice can be slimy like a character, like that's the voice that he uses, and it is so perfect. Um, I also like yeah. there's like 80 characters in that damn book, yes. and he manages to give nuance to every mm-hmm. single one. It is magnificent, it's remarkable. Oh yeah. Um, but it's funny because in my in my job of working every day in an office, um, I got into the habit of I found myself listening to misery like a a couple of different times over the last like few years. And like, I don't know what like I was looking at um, like my Goodreads and my list of books that I read each year. Um, just cause I'm insane, but, um, <laughs> um <laughs> we're all mad here, dear Matt. We're yes. All mad here. <laughs> so I found that like at least once per year I have maybe not at least once per year, but like maybe there's like a couple of gaps there, but I listen to misery pretty regularly. And I just think that there's, I don't know if there's something subconscious to that, that like, oh, I'm sitting here at work and I'm listening to a story of a man that is being forced and tortured to work against his will. (laughs) Maybe there's something about that that resonates with me on a subconscious level. Breaking the fifth wall. Yes. So, yeah. So that that's kind of my I I don't know if I necessarily have a process um, per se, but. I there's a, there are some times where like for tower junkies um when uh like I I talk to my co-host Tiny and I'm like hey uh what do you want to do next for tower junkies um do you want to uh, like usually it's like okay this uh this show or movie is coming out so we've better read and review this book so that we can review this movie and or show or whatever but then like sometimes there are lulls and I'm like well I we haven't covered this and then like it's something that like we've both read and I'll just be like, yeah, that'll be a good excuse to revisit it. So, yeah. So I don't know. I don't really have a rhyme or reason. Just sometimes I just want uh, the kind of the comfort of Stephen King's storytelling in my head. Um, <laughs> and sometimes I don't want to commit to a new narrative if I don't think I can really devote my full attention to it. So I'll just kind of revisit something that I I know backwards and forwards. I love it. One of the things that I see quite a bit when I kind of peruse um, the reviews that people leave for for certain King novels, and uh, usually this sentiment always pops up and is so heartwarming when they say, I feel like when I read King, I'm going home. And it's like the most precious thing. It's the just a, such a heartwarming even though these stories are kind of effed up in a lot of ways. It's oh, like yeah. oh, you yeah. know like <laughs> even though uh, the books we're talking about are are incredibly disturbing. Um right. <laughs> it's just there's something about being carried mm-hmm. by a storyteller and uh King does that for so many people and yes. so I I think that it's such a precious thing to be a part of is that reread experience and um and to to understand what people mean when they say that and Mm -hmm. if I had one word to describe what it's like reading King for me it's nourished I just feel like I'm fed I feel like my brain is stimulated in a way that is uh, my emotions my heart like Mm -hmm. everything is just nourished by by this storytelling experience absolutely I agree 100% it's just it's it's just amazing, amazing storytelling. I, I can't overstate just how brilliant he is. Even when he's not working 
like to his best ability um it's still like it's just, still better it's, than us on our best exactly day. yeah oh <laughs> <Right>? absolutely <laughs> oh yeah it's still just amazing <laughs> oh i love it all yeah. right matt we got a couple more and then we'll yes. kind of make our way out of here but mm -hmm. um i'm gonna jump to a question where i ask has there ever been an ending to a stephen king novel or short story that was so unsatisfying it ruined or tainted the entire reading experience. Have you encountered this? I I have not. And I will say that with the caveat that I, like I, I, I said it before, I, I love Lost through and through. <laughs> so like, I feel like me loving Lost and even like adoring the finale and what they did with the Lost finale has made me kind of, immune to to endings that people may find not that good <laughs> so okay. so like i've i've been like under the domes ending pretty well um i was okay with it i was okay with yeah. it i yeah. i wish it kind of would have taken a slightly different direction but I yeah and and that's something that i think for me like when reading and this also goes for lost as well but like when reading under the dome I I was just so engaged by all the characters and that like I feel like Under the Dome is something that King has played with throughout his career is building these communities and creating these communities and telling these stories about community like it's in The Stand it's in It it's in all of these different books and then I feel like Under the Dome is like his his community story <laughs> like um, it's just about the community and the dysfunction and how it just falls apart. And so while reading it, I'm just so enraptured by all of that. And then by the ending, like when you, when, when it gets to a point where like questions are answered about like the, what the dome is and, and all of this stuff, I'm like, this is like secondary or, or third dairy <laughs> i think it's is it tertiary tertiary yeah, yeah. <laughs> third this dairy is, is also welcome this is a safe yes. space okay um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's secondary it's tertiary it's forward dairy but it to the character stuff and and the story that he t the the whole story he tells about this community in chester's mill so Having said all of that, I am, um, I am, I am less uh, affected by the endings and everything. But I will say that the Tommyknockers, as a complete overall experience, was a almost total letdown in general. Oh so, gosh! Okay. So yeah, yeah, it that one is it's it's rough. It's really really rough. It is. My God, it's yeah. rough rabbits. I am glad I did yeah. it, though. And the mm -hmm. academic in me was like, okay, let's sift through this mess. Um, yeah. Let's let's get in it. Um, but yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah. Uh, two things. So one, mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have to have a separate conversation about Lost. Oh, because, yeah. <laughs> so I'm a huge, I, well, okay. So uh, <laughs> to put it succinctly, I fell in love with it like a lot of people i felt like i've never seen a tv a, a television show do such rich character development mm -hmm. uh i was very impressed however i did start to get a little cranky toward the end 
Uh, mm-hmm. And so I would love to know your thoughts on maybe the radical acceptance in the final season. Um, yeah. Because I think I'm still holding on to a grudge or two. So that'll be something we chat about. Because I, yeah. yeah, I totally <laughs> get that. We will have to have a separate conversation because, like, it's, I, I don't like, you know, anyone, like, everyone's opinion is their own and everything. Totally, and totally. I feel like my reaction to Lost's ending is like, in, I, I don't know. We'll have to have a whole conversation. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I can't wait. Because, like, yeah. I really feel that the more perspective I have, the more it'll help mm. me. Because maybe yeah. over the years, I could just, you know, be cranky for no reason. Who knows? But there's <laughs> sure. only, um, aside from the Tommyknockers, just entire shenanigans, mess of it all, mm. there was one short story inside Everything's Eventual that mm. I, oh, it was... <laughs> It's just, this is one that's the only one I can think of. Riding the bullet had an unsatisfying oh, ending to me. Interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, <laughs> I, I don't really remember like the end ending of it, but I remember being pretty into it just because of the story. Like, like, uh, the character going like being on his way to the hospital, I think, yep. and like that emotional journey was really good. Um, but yeah, I don't remember the ending all that well, so maybe that's an indictment of the story. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, yeah, it was. It was one that like, and you have such powerhouses, and everything's eventual. Mm-hmm. You have fourteen oh eight. You got like oh, these. Yeah. You got these heavy hitters, and writing the mm-hmm. bullet like the premise is just fire. It's just white hot fire. Yeah. It's so good, so gothic. I'm in mm-hmm. it, and then it's like a big fizzle. To the point yeah. where I'm like, I don't feel good about this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's the one where I'm still struggling with it. Like, why I does totally it feel like that. this? Why does it feel like this in my heart? Yeah. I don't. Yeah. But that's <laughs> the one that. Um... So I've I've definitely yeah. we've got two more. We have two more to go. Um, mm-hmm. What do you have any recommendations for any titles you would like to see explored on the year of underrated Stephen King podcast? Absolutely. So <laughs> I have I have four. <laughs> um, oh, I love it. Give them to yeah. me. Yeah. So so as I said, I'm a big fan of the podcast and it oh, bless uh, like your soul. Yeah, like your your approach to the work is so like it's it's so analytical and it's just it's a different perspective on on the stories and i'm then i'm i'm capable of analyzing or <laughs> i've heard analyzing in the way that you do so i uh selfishly on my part my first one is the wastelands i i can't wait for you to get to the wastelands yes. and to continue the dark tower journey right on. um yeah and yeah i won't say anything about the wastelands itself but okay. i just i'm really i'm really uh, eager to hear your thoughts on that and then the next one I have is um, The Eyes of the Dragon. Okay. And, All right. Yeah. And I don't say it as, I, I don't recommend that in terms of like, oh, I love this book so much, you have to read it. But it's more, because it's, it's one of the, my more underwhelming King stories that I've encountered. But I think that there are some interesting storytelling elements that kind of make it stand out. And I kind of feel like, not to put pressure on you, but if you were to read it and 
talk about it on your show. I'm I'm curious if there's like something that I've missed or something that is there that I didn't really read into because it can't. It's I mean it's fantasy. It's like a uh, like a bedtime story kind of story. It's very it's very different from King's other stuff, but it's also I feel like there's something there that I'm just not grasping. Um, so I'm curious to hear what you think of it. Okay, um, we'll do. Yeah. Yep, and then two others, just because they're fresh in my mind. Uh, Night Shift, for the aforementioned reasons. Um, gotcha, gotcha. It's just amazing and bonkers stories. And then uh, very, very eager for you to read Billy Summers. Okay, um, all right. Um, I, I mean, I just devoured that. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm just, I'm really eager to hear your thoughts on it because there are certain aspects to the character that I'm kind of interested to hear your take on specifically. So, and it's just, it's a fun story. So, um, so yeah. Oh, great recommends. I am staring at my hardcover that I got for birthday nice. weekend uh, of nice. Billy Summers. So, uh, will do, good sir. Those are mm-hmm. such great recommends. Huh. So, uh, Mr. Matt, this has been my dream constant reader interview. You have no idea. So oh, we have now, <laughs> we have now uh, made it to the last question, which I've been hiding from you the entire yes. time. <laughs> and so my <laughs> my final question for you, host of Tower Junkies Pod, <gasps> what are your thoughts about the Dark Tower? It's okay. Um, <laughs> it's uh, fine. It's yeah, fine. It's fine. It's cool. It's it's a fun yarn. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I I adore the Dark Tower like you wouldn't believe, and it's kind of a running joke with me, and and um and and my co-host. Although I don't know if he really likes it as a joke, but like it's a running thing that's like. Okay, we started Tower Junkies. Like, the reason that we started Tower Junkies is because the movie was coming out, and we found that on our other podcast, Obsessive Viewer, we were talking about all of the, like, very scant, like, news that was coming out. And I'm like, okay, well, we're going to have to have a big blowout episode for the Dark Tower movie. And we ended up with, like, five hours worth of recordings of just, like, us talking about it and us talking about it to other people. And I was just like... I think we just started another podcast. Like, I think we just started a Dark Tower podcast. Did we just um, become best friends? Is that what happened to you <laughs> in the Dark Tower? Exactly. So, <laughs> and what's funny is that the majority of the things we had to say about the movie were completely negative because we were not fans of the movie. Um, but we started Tower Junkies kind of just, it it, it kind of did that. And it was kind of like talking talking through our 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 fandom of it it's just like we kind of reached this point where we were like this is this is probably like our favorite like ip like our favorite like thing and like that's a big thing to have for something <laughs> um, i love it yeah but the kind of running joke is that when we started tower junkies we we're like okay we're gonna do all of these different things with Stephen king or with with the dark tower and we're gonna explore it in all these interesting ways and it's like well we we also we haven't read everything stephen king's done and oh it's been a while since i since i read this book and oh the new it movie is coming out so we better do that and so it just kind of just turned into just a general stephen king podcast which is great and i love it 
But it's also like we've been doing it for four years and we have not covered the Dark Tower series. I love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> so like to to answer your question, I I mean I adored the Dark Tower for a multitude of reasons. Um, the way that King just tells that it's such an interesting um long for long form story because it goes to some just absolutely insane places some of them work really really well some of them don't work all that well but as a complete like text for me it's like it is it is so rich and beautiful and like like it's it's a similar experience with like pet cemetery and the shining and like there are moments in the dark tower series where like i could i could like take someone to the room that i was in when i read a specific scene from one of the books and like was just destroyed <laughs> like like i have such a vivid memory of again i was a security guard and i was working in an empty building and i was in one of the conference rooms and i was reading one of the books and like something happened and i'm like I'm again like shaking. I'm like crying. I'm like Aww. everything is just like like the wind was knocked out of me. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is <laughs> this is something. <laughs> like this is this is really uh, something. Fully and, alive with King. Yep, absolutely. And it's just it's uh, it's so rich. It's so beautiful. It 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 spins so many things. And and. A lot of people, and they're probably right, would say that, you know, he probably did too much with it and, and made it like like went too far into like the metafiction aspect of it and interconnecting things that didn't need to be interconnected. But I think at its heart, and um this is something that I've I've kind of created in my head as I've been kind of as I've revisited it like four times. But one of the things I love about the Dark Tower series is how it isn't just Stephen King doing a riff on Westerns or fantasy or sci-fi or what have you. It's this mix of so many different genres. And I, what I found in my rereads is that there is such a beautiful, like recurring idea of like the importance of storytelling that's present throughout it. So like, even in the gunslinger like that the structure of that book is so fascinating to me because it is a russian nesting doll of a story oh um, yeah it's wild yeah. it's so great like he's it's a story within a story within a story like when he meets brown and tells him about what happened to him in tull and then when he meets jake and he learns about you know new york and when he and then there's like a rapey yeah. little temple and yes <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I, I hate to so have besmirched crazy. the sacredness mm -hmm. of that chapter. I'd pardon oh, my yeah. crassness if it was Oh no, crass. you're fine. <laughs> but I just was like, um <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it it you know what's funny is that uh that is not <laughs> the weirdest part of the Dark Tower series. I got you. I got yeah, you. There's there's more to come and it's there's there's some things, but above all else, I just think that the the series has this importance on characters, which is Stephen King's bread and butter. And it's them like to use a term from from the series, them sharing Kef and holding palaver and learning about each other and talking to each other and telling stories and everything like that's one of the reasons why uh, Wizard and Glass is 
such a cornerstone for me for that series is because the majority of it is Roland telling the story of his teenage years and his his experience in Hambry. And it's like just him sharing that part of himself to his quartet and to his, the group, his new family is like such a big thing for this character that is that from from kind of the first page of the series is by all accounts kind kind of presented as an archetypical uh stoic western uh character and it's just like throughout the course of the story like you get so much detail and richness for Roland and that kind of just goes passes through like the rest of the characters in the story so I don't know. That's my rambling way of just saying that I love the Dark Tower so much. And if I ever decide to get a tattoo, it'll be a Dark Tower tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> Rightly so. Oh, thank yeah. you for sharing all your passion for the tower. It's just, <laughs> it's incredibly inspiring. And I love, I'm very, I've just dipped my toes in the water. But one thing I did remember, um, I did have a vivid moment kind of like with mm-hmm. the floating doors and drawing of the three where yes. there's just so much possibility. And there was mm-hmm. just, I'm making my way through this, like Roland's in New York now. And, and then he's back on the, and there's a lobster monster. And there was a moment mm-hmm. where I was like, this is pure creation. Like I yep. am in a zone of pure creation and it is such a powerful place to be and it's this is rich everything's a symbol everything Mm -hmm. is a bigger thing um a metaphor for something and i was like oh my gosh this is a very rich experience i am having so (laughs) i cannot imagine how much deeper like i keep thinking about um uh is it gilead where Roland is looking at the hanged man, the yes. chef who's hanged. Mm-hmm. I really feel, and this is just my spidey sense, mm-hmm. that there's something about the hanged man that is like a part of Roland's destiny. Like I don't yeah, like I don't know. There's just <laughs> something about the way that they it's like he and his friend, they're in these formative years, and mm-hmm. there's this like dead guy and he's hanging there and there's it's it's Roland confronting this. And then, of course, the, you know, the tarot or the card reading we get with the man in black and like this yeah. notion of fate and destiny. And I'm like, oh, my God, yep. I am being, <laughs> I am being captured in the web. <laughs> so, but yes, yeah, oh, there's yeah. something about like the sacrificial about Roland is gonna. The journey to oh my I don't know where I'm going, but like the journey to the tower is gonna take everybody he loves. I just feel it. I'm just like, oh my god. Um, this is this is his path. This is the quest. Mm. Um, granted, I could be getting ahead of myself. I don't know, which is why I gotta hurry (laughs) up and get to the wastelands, but um I do understand. I am beginning to understand more and more why this series has such passionate fans. And I'm so glad you have a show that is able to to feed people with that oh absolutely thank you yeah um it's funny because i because i've i've been i i'm really i'm really thinking that i'm gonna we're gonna hopefully make a concentrated effort to do like an actual like book by book you know journey through the dark tower series next year (laughs) um i need to kind of plan it out a little bit because i have like i'm 
I have all of these notes and everything, and I have like each book sectioned off with like, oh, we'll do an episode for this section of the the first book, and then we'll divide up the first book into five episodes, and then the second book into like four episodes. <laughs> but amazing, amazing yeah. planning. But I have all of that planned out, and then I've sent like, like I, uh, I I bought uh, Bev Vincent's two books, his uh, the Road to the Dark Tower and the Dark Tower Companion, just for re- uh, reference material and everything. And then I've been reading Robin Firth's uh, The Dark Tower Concordance. And like, I sent a message to Tiny, my co-host, and um, <laughs> and just saying like, oh, all of this stuff, I think it would be fun if we did this and this and this and just this wall of text. And then I think it was more, it was, it was a, it was completely, uh, I don't know if it was necessarily unrelated, but he was just like, you feeling okay? <laughs> <laughs> you doing okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm just excited. I love it. Um, Well, this has been the most delightful time, dear Matt. Thank you so much for being my guest and sharing all of your your, uh, uh, immense treasure heap of king knowledge. It is. Uh, it has been such a delight. I can't emphasize that enough. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Like I said, I'm I'm just a huge fan of your show, and so I was just very, very, uh, very honored to be asked to be on it. So thank you so much. You are so welcome. I too work your passion, your zeal, how much detail you put into your episodes. So my heart is with yours. With the the Stephen King uh, fandom and podcastery, if that's a word, I don't know. <laughs> sure. But can can you tell the listeners out there what you're up to and all the things? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a bunch of stuff. Um, so uh, first and foremost, obviously, Tower Junkies. Um, it's a Stephen King podcast that started as a Dark Tower podcast, but is now just a general Stephen King podcast. Uh, you can find all of that at towerjunkiespod.com. Um, we have an archive page in, for all of the episodes in order. And then we also have a master list page that has all of Stephen King's published works and adaptations. And each one that we've covered has like a link to the episode. So check that out if you want to check that out. Um, but yeah, Tower Junkies Pod on all the social medias and everything. And then I also have two other podcasts. I have Obsessive Viewer, which is just a general movie and TV podcast, um, uh, which is at obsessiveviewer.com. And then uh, Anthology, which is my solo podcast, where um, I occasionally um, uh, review The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and kind of supplement each episode with a bonus review of an episode of Science Fiction Theater. It's kind of all about science fiction anthology uh, series and storytelling, starting with the Twilight Zone, which is interesting because going through the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer I, and like being obsessed with Stephen King, it's like it's it's really interesting to see how King is potentially um, influenced by the Twilight Zone, and in particular Richard Matheson. Which, as I understand it, Richard Matheson is like Stephen King's favorite writer, and so like there are stories in Stephen King's canon that bear so much resemblance to like episodes of the twilight zone that it's just it's really interesting to see king kind of riff on something that um that is in like the twilight zone it's just fun for me yeah it's fun for me to have this overlap of two things that i love oh man i just i just remember that twilight zone episode with the guy and he just wanted to read his books and then then the bomb goes off (laughs) and then his glasses break (laughs) 
Oh my god. Uh, so oh, just so cruel. <laughs> yep. It's so awful. <laughs> just just Shakespearean tragedy. Yep. Oh, so yeah. good. But I will have uh, links to all of Matt's shows in the uh, show notes. But thank you once more to you and Pizza Roll for being the yeah. best ever, <laughs> the best constant readers. So oh, thank, thank you so much, Matt. And we will hang out again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again. Uh, it's been a blast. All right, dear listeners, that concludes my amazing conversation with the wonderful Matt from Tower Junkies Pod. Please tune in to his numerous podcast endeavors. We have Anthology, we have Obsessive Viewer, Tower Junkies Pod with Tiny and Pizza Rolls, so please make sure you're engaging via Apple Podcasts, plugging into his Patreon, and supporting Matt everywhere and anywhere. But thanks again once more to Matt for being the best guest for listening to me ramble on about books and of course sharing his king love with me. I'm looking forward to hanging out with you again and uh, sharing all things king. So thank you guys for listening today. So appreciate all of you. If you haven't already, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a five star. That would make my little heart so happy. If you'd like to uh, say a kind word or two, that would also be incredibly appreciated. And if I haven't heard from you via email with any questions, any thoughts on any past episode, I would love to hear from you. Please write in to underratedsk at gmail. I love connecting with all of you, hearing additional information on the novels, parts I might have missed, direct quotes, uh, unpublished works. You guys are amazing and have totally enriched and enlivened my King reading experience. So thank you, thank you, thank you. But that's all I have for today. Tune in for later uh, next week. I'm going to have that finishing up here. That is a brand new hot off the presses 2021 release. It's a hard case crime. You guys know how much Kim C loves Joyland, loves the Colorado Kid. I'm a huge hard case crime fan, so I could not let the summer end without reading later. So have some thoughts to share with everybody. Later is going to pop up next week and then I will make my way into the Green Mile. We are going to read it in the six, I believe, installments as it was released in the mid-90s. It's going to be good. So more details on that down the road, but thank you all so much for listening. I love you all. I hope summer's been kind to you. Stay safe, take care, and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.